Hello Movement Radio family, this is Quincy here with a special guest in the building, Miss G. Nicole Braswell. Hello. How you doing? Doing very well. Awesome. Good to have you. Thank you for setting a little time out to talk to us. Absolutely. It's an honor to be on the Movement Radio. Awesome. Awesome. I sure appreciate it. So, let's jump right in it. Absolutely. Who are you? <laughs> Perfect first question. <laughs> <laughs> I am Gayon Nicole Bramwell. I'm the middle child of parents who live and work in Broward County. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know you probably didn't ask for all that detail, but uh, I come from a Jamaican family. Uh -oh. I was raised in South Florida. My parents are entrepreneurs. Um, they own an insurance brokerage here in Lauderdale Lakes. And um, I started a movement, I think, online called SheVenturesNow.com. It's, nice. it's an online brand I created to really encourage uh, single millennial women and zennial women uh, to really maximize their singleness and really push for the career and the job that they love, not just the career or job that they felt they expected or they felt that was expected of them. Um, and so I've started a podcast last year. I was really excited about it and it got traction. We've got a couple thousand downloads and a lot of support and the reaction and feedback I got from that was something that I didn't quite expect, but it really boosted my confidence that, you know, this concept of empowering women beyond just fluffy thoughts, but with practical information um, would be beneficial. Yeah, so... <laughs> I just got a question towards that. Why single women versus any other type of woman? Why, yeah. why just single women? So it's funny because the brand has evolved to where it's not just single women anymore, mm. right? She ventures now. Actually, the background story is I started a blog called Art of Singleness. It was really targeting the single woman mm -hmm. and their emotional health. After doing some, you know, reflecting and introspection, I said, you know what? I don't necessarily want to target just the single woman. Right. I want to encourage women, and particularly minority women, Afro-Caribbean women, um, that they can live their dreams and they can receive the practical support to do that. The reason why I started with single women, just to answer your question head on, is because I had lived so much of my personal journey single. I had like I had done so much of my life was just not in a relationship and learning about life by myself, yeah, navigating by life <laughs> by myself. Some of it was by choice, and some of it was just not. To be honest, you oh. know. That's weird. Why? That you would say it's, it's not by choice, because mm -hmm. I mean, whether you're with someone or not, that's that's a choice, right? Well, I think I think you are into something. I think there is definitely. <laughs> And be honest, I mean, I think some at some point I had to acknowledge, and it's something that I write about on Chief Ventures now, if you look under the category of singleness, I think there's a degree of singleness that is not by choice, mm. and there's a degree of singleness where it's like, well, what are you doing and thinking that's allowing itself to manifest in being single, if that makes sense. And so just to kind of tease that out, um, one of the things I strongly recommend, and I still do this, is for single women to really do the heart work and to do the internal work of, re of realizing how have you created a lifestyle where you're not meeting someone or you're not um, allowing yourself to love someone else. And so 
that's stuff I put on, those are some writings I put on the blog and I talk mm. about and I've even coached women on. Um, but right now, She Ventures Now is completely focused on career coaching and career guidance. So something like um, Law of Attraction. Yeah, a lot of, oh man, that is such a trigger phrase for me. Law of Attraction, absolutely, absolutely. But law of attraction is pretty deep. Like if you if you think about um, what like the the whole movement was about, it's it's deeper than just the physical or the principle of the law. It was more so um, spirituality as well. Yeah. If you get into the whole attraction and, yeah. and that whole mind waves and like attracts like. And, yeah, I haven't done meditation deep. and all of that. Yeah, yeah. So. I haven't done a deep dive on the, the law of attraction, but mm -hmm. you know, I've I've watched the secret. Seventy five percent of the secret. Seventy five. Only seventy five percent. At the recommendation of someone special, oh. I read a book called U Squared. Nice. Um, I've read a lot. I've I've, you know, if I could take a step back and just kind of give a little short uh, overview of my personal journey. Um, I kind of had a little bit of a wake-up call around age 25 and I was really distraught. I, was, I, found myself, um, I found myself celebrating my 25th birthday with my parents and hating it because I wasn't married, one. Mm. Two, my parents, though I love them and respect them, honor them, and, and I'm so grateful that I came from, um, that I'm a product of their rearing, they had a very volatile marriage. And so I'm, I, I remember distinctly sitting at Red Lobster, it was a restaurant they chose, and hating the fact that I was celebrating my 25th birthday alone and with parents who had a unhappy marriage, mm. okay? So I distinctly remember that and I bring that up because I started diving deep into personal development and trying to figure out what is it that I wanted in life. If I wanted a marriage, did I want it now or did I want to get some th certain things done before I got married? Mm -hmm. And I remember um, sort of agreeing with myself, like making this personal promise that I would get certain things done before I got married because right. I wanted to bring to marriage something that would make my husband's heart smile, if that makes any sense. I know that sounds super fluffy, but I wanted to bring to marriage and I wanted to bring to my future kids this storyline that before mommy became, before mommy became, um, daddy's wife she was you know she was out there making it happen for herself to be a reflection to her daughter and her son that you don't wait for marriage to make you happy you bring happiness to the marriage exactly do you understand what i'm saying yes. that your life doesn't start at the point that you found someone to love life starts way before that exactly you know so those are some things that i had to settle before i came to she ventures now before i got into real estate that was something deep and personal that I, you know, at 25 years old, I was like, all oh, my friends are getting married and I needed to figure out what exactly did I want out of life? Was, was marriage the apex of happiness or was I putting, was I socialized to believe that, ha you know, happiness came when I'm married and yeah. I have a ring on my finger and we're, we're starting to travel and go on exotic trips because I'm married, you know? Mm -hmm. Once I checked, once I kind of checked that box off mentally and realized, okay, no, I can be happy without being married. Well, what is it? Well, what do I want? And I started realizing, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do and I got the chance to do was to help plant a church in South Florida. Mm -hmm. And even though it wasn't necessarily an intrinsic passion, it wasn't. Honestly, I didn't sign up for it. I didn't I didn't necessarily say I, I didn't grow up believing that I was going to be a church leader and help plant a church. 
it gave me the experience of handling and dealing with different people issues that I never thought I would have the experience to deal with, right? And it gave me an exposure to the reason um, and the need for life coaching and wisdom in people's lives. So there's, there's a lot that I got out of that experience, and one of which is, is the fact that the church cannot fulfill the, the void of information that people need to grow up and to be personally developed. Like, th- the church can't do that. That's just my opinion. That was my reflection. Mm. But another thing I felt like it was eye-opening for me is that I had believed that whoever I was going to marry was just going to pop up in church. It's just going to be, like, <gasps> magical, you know? And I realized that that's not, that's not, that's not how life works all the time. It, it just really doesn't. Mm-hmm. The third thing, um, the second thing that I realized that I wanted outside of just marriage, and again, just to answer your question about law of attraction and then, and what is it, you know, why did I have this passion to helping single women at the onset of starting a brand? Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that I really, I wanted to develop myself professionally and have a stable career, but not in the sense of working for a company for 50 years and then retiring. My parents, I come from parents that are entrepreneurs and I always grew up seeing them being very enterprising and figuring out ways to make $1 into five and $1 into 10. And it struck me at like really late, like at like 27, 28, I started really hating my job. (laughs) I just hated it and I don't don't know if anyone else can relate to this story, but I remember going to work and I was the executive assistant for a publicly traded healthcare firm and while you know my my stakeholders uh, respected me, I could not respect for the life of me. I could not respect the work that I did. I just I felt like I was only using ten percent of my brain, and I felt like I was going crazy. I didn't understand why. Like, I graduated from a great school, University of Florida, but I I I, I hated my job. I just really did. And second time, I think that I had like a personal aha moment outside of the twenty five crisis moment, crying. Um, I'm single, I'm single, and there's no one for me. Well, what is happiness? The second time was me really having a lot of anxiety around my job and and delving deep into a book called 48 Days to the Work You Love by Dan Miller, career coach. And he really espouses in that book how much if your job is not working for you, you can actually, you need to take decisive action within 48 days and stop, like stop procrastinating, you know, and also what he points out in the book is that whatever you're passionate about you can monetize it or whatever you're talented in mm-hmm. you can monetize it you don't need to wait for somebody to hand you a job and explain all of the job description and tasks like you've been socialized you need to take action on the things that you are passionate about and monetize it and get rid of this poverty mindset that if you do something you're passionate about you're going to be living on peanuts I thought that book was so eye-opening for me because it's something that was already rumbling in my heart and in my mind, but I didn't have language for it. But I want to point out something else that the book talked about. Dan Miller's a Christian guy, but one of the things that he talks about is just the sort of the misguidance that a lot of, you know, if you grow up in the church or if you're part of the church culture, um, or if you're just even a traditional person, one of the things he, he demystifies is, is how um, sometimes people think that their belief in God means that everything will pan out the way that they want. Meaning, so it's fairy tale, like they're using God as a genie. Sort of, sort of, sort <laughs> of. It's this though. It's this idea that, well, 
if I want the job I want, all I need to do is pray about it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he talks about, like he, he really debunks just some myths that people pick up. It's not that it's taught directly, but they just pick up from this like this church culture, right? And I really took that, I, that really stuck with me because in a large, to a large degree, I had graduated college and I just thought, well, if I just pray about having a great job, it'll happen. It wasn't happening. So you don't think that that's that taught in church, that kind of that kind of thinking, and how is in it's in the culture of pray fast and yeah. it'll happen. Uh, I I think I think there's a way in which it's not everyone. I don't I don't I can't sit here and say which churches do it or whatnot. But I think that it's it's definitely in the culture. It's definitely in the water somewhere. Yeah. Like it's in the water. And I think there's ways in which some people have really, really, really strong or good balance of leaders mm-hmm. in their lives, whether mentors, whether parents, et cetera, that help them see, okay, you can't be so mystical that you're not doing anything about it. Right. You can't. That's just not going to work. You got to have some practical You got to have some very practical. Now, here's what's <laughs> funny is I also, just to point, you know, punctuate that book, one of the other things that I got out of that book was... Um, he was not, I, I really appreciated that Dan Miller encouraged people to understand uh, sort of their zone of genius. Mm. And that's a phrase that I kind of got um, out of it. It's not something that he says, but he just really believed and outlined that you have multiple intelligences. Mm. Everyone is not going to be in- academically intelligent and then make all the great grades, go to the great schools, and then, right? You have people that are more physically intelligent, they're more spatially intelligent, they're more socially intelligent. And they can't be judged off the same race, you know? I agree. I and so agree. I really appreciated that book. Again, white male who wrote it, Christian guy, older guy, different generation, mm-hmm. you know, and he has multiple degrees, multiple degrees. And he's saying college is not for everyone. He's saying you don't have to stay at a traditional job. And he's saying a lot of people who have stayed at traditional jobs find themselves living with this quiet frustration because they're, you know, heading into their 40s and 50s and they still haven't lived the life that they wanted. Yeah, you know what, like, through my little journey, I found that um, the more times that I meet people with, with multiple degrees and um, that's highly educated, so-called highly educated, most of those people will look back and say it wasn't the education. It wasn't, yeah. That got me here. It was, like, for my, for my example, um, Education. I look back after I got my degrees, and I didn't. I wasn't any smarter. I, what I know and what I used from college is very little. Yeah. Based on like what I already did. I'm, now that I do it, I got a college degree behind it, so now it's it's a big thing. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's nothing that you didn't always was doing that yeah. that central intelligence that you had. I want to move to some other layers of um, gay on you. I know that you're a lifestyle design and life coach. Yeah. And I want to know how did you kind of get into that and what makes you Good question. get passionate about being a, a life coach? Yeah, so I try not to use the life coach term anymore, mostly because it's just, it's not specific. It's very, yeah. it's very general. And, and some people, what I've noticed on the market is some people can have a very presumptuous, you know, thought and be taken aback when they hear life coach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I try to do is really, and I say this all the time, is that I'm a career coach. 
and life coaching is the umbrella term so it encompasses career mm -hmm. but I tried to pinpoint my services and, and my encouragement towards career coaching the career coaching field why am I so passionate about it I, I think one of the things that makes me really passionate about career coaching more now than ever is because I see oh I want to take a step back work just as a concept right we live in a world where the social contract that we all agree to is working somewhere between 40 to 50 hours a week. Mm -hmm. That's the social contract. Okay. Okay. You can work less than that. You can work more than that. But for the <laughs> most part, we all naturally disproportionately put a lot more time into work. It's just, it is what it is. Right. I feel that, and also research shows that 70% of the American workforce are either unhappy or disengaged at work. One of those two things. Or so shopping online. <laughs> you know, you know what it is. It's, it's, it's. You're se so seventy percent of the American workforce is is. If you think about that concept, seventy percent of the American workforce is disengaged, unhappy with their work. Well, what is the problem? <laughs> what seventy percent? That's a really high percentage. Yeah. So when I got wind of like that data, I started to think about what problem could I help solve. Right. And, and I'll even again, going back to a story, just because I love to give it in terms of my journey. Mm -hmm. I was sitting at the um, in my position as an executive assistant for a healthcare firm. I was sitting at my desk and when I would get done with all my work, I would just read. <laughs> I would just read online, read ebooks, read personal development articles and material. And one of the persons that I had started to follow and I still respect to this day is Seth Godin. You probably have heard of him. Seth Godin is thought to be like a guru of marketing. Mm -hmm. He's really a thought leader in our day on just trends, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship. He wrote, he writes, or he wrote an ebook called School Stop Stealing Dreams. It's an mm. ebook, it's free, it's about a 100 page, 100 page long ebook. And he writes it like a sporadic blog post that he's just co compiled over the years. One of the things that he brings out in the book is how the industrial revolution really actually, um, sorry, the school system was framed by the industrial revolution. It was created to help make compliant employees. So, so what, so let's backtrack. We got 70% of Americans that hate their jobs. We spend a disproportionate amount of our time in work, 40 hours, 40, 50 hours a week. Mm -hmm. That rounds up to about 2000 hours a year doing work, right? But 70% of the American workforce hate their jobs. So that means that over, you know, you have 70% of the American population that's spending, you know, around 2000 hours of their lives a year doing stuff that they don't like. And then Seth Godin is helping to go back in history and say, well, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing now is a reflection of the fact that they created the school system to just make compliant employees, people who are not free thinkers, people who are not creative thinkers, people who are just there to punch a clock and get a task done, and that's it. Yeah, I, th I think it's so, it's so important that people understand that you have to, everything, we're following whatever the generation before us set. Yeah. So the real trendsetters in this generation are out front creating change, yep. doing things that people in the information age are doing. So it's, it's so much now we're in this information age, but everybody, like you said, is caught up in this whole industrial age thinking, industrial age work, yep. industrial age investing, yeah. trying to still um, be free financially. 
with the 40 hour work week. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just hard. Not, <laughs> well, not everyone has it's, it's, it the way you have happen. it. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm just, uh, I can't say it's not ever can happen because I, I think you could, you could earn a pretty good living Working as an employee. For, yeah. Um, but it's difficult. It's difficult it to, to to enjoy uh, what life has to offer while being an employee. Yeah. So entrepreneurship is. I'm big on that. I, I'm Same big, here. Like that's that's yeah. that's what you that's yeah. what you need to be studying, researching, and then trying right. to develop into as an uh, entrepreneur. So I read Seth Godin's book. Mm-hmm. I found myself again feeling the enlight- the effects of enlightenment and just feeling like oh. I'm frustrated because I do have creative passions that I'm not giving myself to. Mm-hmm. And what I've recognized in my own personal story, but also in people that I've come across throughout my journey, are the, this, this, this common theme of frustration, of feeling constrained to a job, to a desk, to a computer, to a screen, or to a set of tasks they have to routinely do year in and year out. And they're not necessarily flourishing in, in something that they believe that maybe God has called them to, or their purpose, or uh, something that they know that they have, you know, above average skills in that they know that they can monetize. Mm-hmm. And I lump that into all career coaching, even if it's an entrepreneurial passion that somebody has. Because at the end of the day, what happens is if you're not confident in your own skills, you can't, it's very hard to sell someone. Right. It's very, it becomes very difficult if you don't actually do the introspection involved of understanding how you're gifted, your zone of genius, what problems you want to solve, and also being convicted about that. Because you can't, I've recognized, even though I don't believe in being a jack of all trades. I get it. I get the concept. I think there is a case for being having mastery in like two, top three skills. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Because if you are a jack of all trades and master of none, someone is not going to know to pick you for a task or for a problem that you, they want help to solve. They're going to pick the master person <laughs> over you. That's just my opinion. You know, well, kind of how I look at it is because I guess I'm the flip side of the coin. I'm pretty good at a lot of things. I don't know if I'm great at one. And Mm. I think that it's it allows me to be more flexible in in a lot of situations. Right. Whereas if I'm if I have a complete mastery of let's just say English, if if I'm just an English whiz, well, Science would be a little bit uncomfortable for me, but mm. if I have a great understanding of English, math, science, history, then I can go in each arena and be comfortable enough to yeah. make some noise in there. So and that's how I look at like the things that I want to do in the natural. If I want to do investing, then I need to be at least above average in that. If I want to do yeah. something in contracting, I need to be above average. Not that I've yeah. mastered it, well, so, but, but so, that I'm, I'm pretty good. I can hold my own in a lot yeah. of different places. So I look at the ability to hold your own as different than I'm going to build a business around a particular skill. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Because I think that you know when it comes to entrepreneurship, I think baseline, you, you've got to have mastery in something. I mean, at, at some level, why are people coming to you? Mm-hmm. They're not coming to you for average. They're coming to you because you have mastery. So I believe in holding your own. Don't get me wrong. It's like, you know, you don't teach a child, uh, you don't just not teach a child math. You teach mm-hmm. the math 
and there's a possibility that they just need to pass. Like they can have a passing grade. Right. They can hold their own. But masters, the child that makes a C in math may not need to be the CFO at a company. Do you right. get what I'm saying? Right. CFO probably got the A in math and got the C in English. It's a very, very broad stroke example. I understand. Um, I get you. You get what I'm I saying? I get you. Okay. I get you. But here, here is what I, I would I would say. Yeah. Um, and pause. You're really great at real estate and numbers. Are you not? Yeah, I'm pretty decent. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's another thing, too, is like when someone's like extra humble, they have a hard time. You can't just say that you're pretty decent and like own multiple properties. I don't I think there's a difference. But I think there's a definite difference between someone who is like heavily investing in different properties and wants to develop them and someone who has one property and is decent at making the numbers work for one property. I don't think you're just decent is what I'm saying. I well, think you're I think you have mastery over real estate. How I look at it like as an entrepreneur, when I when I think entrepreneurship, I think the the command and control of multiple moving pieces. So as yep. an entrepreneur, I can't I can't get too deep in the weeds of if I'm doing a development. If I'm doing development, I can't get too deep in the weeds of the contracting or the finances. Yes, but time out. All that. Time this, out. This is what I'm trying to tell you. This is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> so I can't get too deep in the weeds of mm-hmm. all I all I do is as an entrepreneur, you are you are the motivation, you're the inspiration for the product. It's not necessarily mean that I have to be a master at developing financing I don't disagree with you I don't disagree with you you got the you yeah. you as an entrepreneur need to hire that yes CFO and that CEO yeah, and yeah. all you got to be able to I think identify I w- those people I think and hire we, great I help. think we do I think we agree I think we're talking about different facets of the same coin yeah because in my mind uh, the developer doesn't have to execute every every element like yeah. you said but the developer is a master over the whole concept. Yes. So, now, it's, so now, do you understand what I'm saying? Now, so now here's the now thing: if we're going to use the de- if we're going to use the developer as an example, the developer has mastery of the whole big picture. Mm-hmm. That's something that the CFO, one person, wouldn't have. Right. But the developer has mastery over the entire development process. Right. Right. Entrepreneur. That's a very generic term. We have to get ex- ex- use somebody as an example. My parents. My parents are entrepreneurs, but they started an insurance business that was the bread and butter of our family. Right. My parents have mastery over the insurance industry. They know the trends. They know the forecasts. My dad even said at a family meeting, yes, two days ago, he said, you know what? One of the things I forecast is that home inspection as, an, as a business is going to take off in hmm. South Florida. He's expecting that insurance companies are going to be employing and, and, and contracting out more home inspectors due to the fact of the way um, Hurricane Irma, uh, that whole... Hurricane Irma situation last year. He has mastery over the insurance industry and the trends, the macro issues. What he doesn't have mastery over, he does not have mastery over marketing. He doesn't have mastery over uh, the accounting. He, he has understanding of all those things, but he doesn't have mastery over it. Right. So do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like they put the package together to make the business happen and that's good, uh, but they don't have mastery. So I agree with you that you don't need to, as an entrepreneur, have mastery over the whole, like, over the individual 
pieces, but mm. you do have to master the whole big picture. It's just like how I, how I like to kind of explain it is, it's like, let's just say Denzel Washington mm-hmm. and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. They're, they're both great in yeah. what they do, but Denzel Washington is a great actor. Yes, he is. Yeah. Steven Spielberg would hire him. He'd be a smart man to hire Denzel Washington. Yeah. To act in his movie because he's a great actor. It ain't flip flop. Like Denzel is not going out hiring the directors. Okay. You know, so yeah, the director yeah. would be more of the entrepreneur. Denzel Washington would be more like All right. a finance guy. So what would you say the director is a master at? Because I think that's what I'm really identifying to... talent. Okay. Entrepreneurs have to be like they have to be able to identify who and what's going to fit into their puzzle to make their vision possible. Okay. And what would you say now that entrepreneurs are masters at? Identifying talent. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But what are they masters at outside of that as well? In addition to that? Well, they, they provide the vision. Mm-hmm. An entrepreneur, Agreed. a great entrepreneur should be able to provide the vision. You should be able to, like, if, if you want to, like, break it down into uh, something natural, like, painting a wall like I'm I might not be a great painter like say for instance if I'm gonna renovate a house I don't want to do the work <laughs> I can go out and find a great painter a carpenter yep. and all of these people and I provide them all of the, the tools necessary to be successful nice. but it's their skill That's that makes my vision of what I want in the house happen yeah like I can't I can't paint like he paint I can paint yeah I'm not a great painter I can lay tile but I, I'm not great at it I'm gonna be <laughs> cricket mm-hmm. I can hang stuff on the wall I can put cabinets in but you know it won't be as great as a carpenter but I can have that vision and mm-hmm. understanding of carpentry flooring drywall so, so paint so I can identify a person that's great at it I say okay I'm above average at it this guy's better than me I want him as a painter just so just so that we we round it out um, with this understanding, what would you say that the host of Movement Radio is is uh, a master at when it comes to real estate? Oh, based off of your results in the last ten years. Well, I mean, I, I, math is a gift for me. Okay, it's a gift for me. I don't have to study for it. It's just something I understand numbers that way. It's just a gift. Like I don't. It, it don't confuse me. I can look at complex situations and kind of make it very simple in mm-hmm. my head. And being able to get that, what I view as something that's complex and someone else thinks that it's complex, being able to get it and put it on a spreadsheet. So maybe mm-hmm. a person that don't understand the numbers like I do Got can it. look at it and say, oh, okay, now I see what you're trying yeah. to you know, So that's just... A gift. All right. That's a gift for me. That's cool. That's good to hear. (laughs) Okay. So, back to you. Yes. Because this is about you, not me. (laughs) I'm sorry. I want you, you, I know you're interested and you're actively pursuing real estate. Yes. What is it about real estate that uh, attracts you to it? That's a great question. Okay, so uh, I told you guys. I told you guys about my parents. Right. Uh, my parents were always involved in insurance. They also sell home insurance, 
commercial insurance, et cetera, they were also enterprising human beings, meaning they were always looking into different ventures, one of which was real estate. They would buy condos, rent it out. And I would not know this until like, you know, we moved here in 84, I was four years old. I didn't know how much they were into real estate until maybe I was 20 and I was like, oh, we have a property here and here and here and here. I remember one time they had a property in South Florida, a condo that they own. I mean, these aren't huge properties, but it was something. Right. A condo in South Florida, a property in Gainesville that they bought for my brother and I for us to go to school at University of Florida. It was a, it was a villa, it was a townhouse. They bought a property in Atlanta, land. They owned property in Jamaica and they were buying a property in Wellington, uh, Palm Beach County to mm. build their dream house. And I remember just saying to myself during the like 19, 20, I'm like, man, they really like it's beyond just business, right? It's beyond that. It's beyond making, it's beyond work. Right. They, they really wanted to own land and receive income. I, I had a very, uh, I guess, embryonic understanding of real estate. I just mm. knew, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I honestly just really enjoy growing up and having my parents look at houses. Like I would go with my parents to look at houses and it was a fun experience to mm -hmm. like look at houses. Um, I think after, uh, this is another personal story, I would love to sh just, just, just share it and be a little transparent. Um, I felt like I was, I was praying when I was around 19, 20, and I felt like I kind of knew something was up with the whole, with, with the land that they were, or, or the properties they owned, one of which was the, the house we owned in Wellington. I kind of felt like we, I got a hunch we were going to lose it. It was weird. They had bought the house. We had lived in it for about five years. Mm -hmm. I was in college, so I didn't really directly live in it. And I just kind of felt like we were going to lose it. Now, that was 2002. I graduated college. No, that was around 2004. I graduated college in 2007, 2008. Um comes it's the, the crash the economic downturn of the US and everybody's houses belly up and I didn't know this but in 2009 my parents short sold the house um, that they bought I, I think they bought it for like a lot of money I don't remember how much what the exact numbers were but they ended up short selling it and at the time I thought it was foreclosure all I remember is that we had to get out of a five-bedroom house in a day hmm. and at the time, I had moved back from college. I graduated two years prior, moved back from college, and I was in the midst of getting prerequisite courses for nursing done and just supporting my family, like being there to help raise my younger brothers. Right. And we had to move out of a house that I thought that everything was fine on in a day. My brothers were like nine, eight years old, and they were helping, but they didn't understand. They felt like we just sold the house. Like they were just like, talking to their friends like yeah our parents sold the house and they didn't know we lost the house right you know so all that to say emotionally i felt like i saw both the positives and negatives of real estate and i remember the distinct moment i mean i'm 22 at this point i remember the distinct moment of feeling like this is not supposed to happen to us this is not supposed to, this is not the way it's supposed to go mm -hmm. you're not supposed to lose a house like this, this is, it, it really wasn't there's was other dynamics i really can't talk about that happened but essentially i remember distinctly from that moment feeling like never again and I want to dominate in real estate in whatever way I can. It was seminal. It wasn't like I said that like this then, because at that time, at that time I was super young. I'm 22. Um, but looking back, I think it planted a seed in me that I think I can figure out real estate and maximize what we experienced. It's not hard. It's not. It's well. <laughs> I've learned that now. I've learned that now. Um, so I had the seed in me, and then fast forward a couple more years, mm -hmm. I. Um, and I also, 
I knew that I could become an agent, but I had been hearing that, no, it's a bad time. It's a bad time in the market to become an agent because of the downturn. Mm-hmm. And, but I still wanted to like learn it, right? And, right. I, and I had friends that were doing kind of quasi well. But long story short, I decided that I would learn real estate. Funny thing was I became a business development associate at a property tax consulting firm. And being that I was doing, getting them clients, and I'm talking, these were, this, this organization that I worked for had like, you know, REITs as clients. It was not, it was not like a small shop. It was, we represent, you know, Duke Realty. They represented um, WCI, right? Minto Communities, Home Builders, large companies. Right. And I remember having to call CFOs and CEOs and literally pitching our business to them to, you know, to reduce their property taxes. I don't know jack about real estate, not to the degree that I needed to. So that put in me and reminded me that you should get your real estate license. You should learn more about the market. You should learn about development. And that's when I pursued my master's degree at Nova for the Master of Science in Real Estate Development. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Story. During that time when the, the 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 market was crashing and everybody was going crazy and no, don't go into real estate. That's when I started. <laughs> yeah, same here. That was, that's mean, when I started my real estate. I um, incorporated and I got that's really, so cool. really serious about real estate during that time. Really? So, like, two two sides of the coin. Like, yeah. some people see it as Negative. tragedy. Yeah. And I saw it as, man, this Opportunity. is an awesome, awesome time to buy real estate because everything's cheap. I looked at it like houses that was 250000 they were now ninety. Hundred thousand. I was like, whoa! I can get one, two, three of these houses yeah. that quick. So crazy, interesting though. Very interesting. interesting. Very, very, very interesting. So a lot of times we gotta we gotta see opportunities uh, when nobody else. Opportunities. Does. Yes. What what uh what's the guy Warren Buffett? Warren Buffett says when when everybody's running away, run to it, and when everybody's running to it, run away from it. So basically buy when they're selling and sell when they're buying mm. real estate is uh is same that, thing is that yeah mm-hmm. it's, that, it's that for me that's kind of how my concept is in real estate. gotcha the podcast let's jump back to the podcast the she sure. ventures she ventures podcast yeah um i think you covered what was the inspiration for that but how do you um what's the methods that you follow to identify a person to interview on your, one of your podcasts? Yeah, it's uh, a great question. You know, honestly, I try not to make it very complicated. I started very basic. I started just picking and choosing people in my life, my mm-hmm. friends. Um, Issa Rae, you guys know, you know Issa Rae, right? The creator of Insecure. Nah, I don't know. No, you don't. <laughs> Beautiful black woman who created Insecure. She started Insecure off of a YouTube channel she created where she would... Um, she created like a whole play about Mm. being an awkward black girl yeah so it's funny because the whole reason why i bring her up is one of the things she's been quoted as saying in interviews she's done is a lot of times when people want to sort of um make a quantum leap in their professional career they Mm. think that they have to look vertically you know someone ahead of them you know Mm. by a certain vertical in order to get ahead and sort of like network with people vertically but she says you know a lot of times the advancement you're looking to make can be happen when you look laterally you look horizontally, those who are on your left or right, and it's your friends that you can go up with as opposed to thinking you leave people behind and just try and accelerate your professional development. And so for me, the podcast was an outlet for me to kind of re-network 
with people I know already who are mm -hmm. doing cool things in my mind that I consider dope. You know, mm -hmm. so I've, I've interviewed friends who, I've interviewed friends that I've had from back in middle school who are still, you know, pushing to start their own business or become right. speakers. I've interviewed you, I got a chance to interview you. Um, I've got a chance, I started the podcast though under this, um, under the singleness category though. I mean, if you, if you look in the way that I started my podcast, I started it with some deep reflections about me being single and, and steps that I was taking. Right. And then I started interviewing other single women that I had known who knew that I was t making these deep reflections and writing a lot about singleness and really how they navigated and being becoming emotionally healthy while single and, and being single for a while. Um, and then what I did was the next season, I started interviewing people who, um, for singleness, it was who made career changes. So people who had navigated that frustration of being at their job and not liking it and wanting to make a career change. Right. Again, people to me that would seem interesting, that the topics were interesting. And then thirdly, I started interviewing people who had started businesses, one of which was you. Um, and I interviewed people who started businesses because I wanted to really, in my own research, I wanted to get data socially about what it takes to start a business and what you have to overcome right. and the personal development that it requires. Because I think in our age, in this information age, in this social media age, there's a lot of, um, there's, 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 there's a lot of propagation about it being super glamorous to start a business when it's not. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot it of is. you. You staying up late. You it you is. waking up early. You you socializing less. You spending your money way different. It you is. know what I mean? And yes. and I think that there's a way in which people aren't really gra get getting that um, because we want to show like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Look at how I'm living my best life. When we don't realize like, there's a lot of grind and there's a lot of rest. You know, and there's a lot of trying to balance life priorities while creating something new from scratch. Yeah, you know? I always try to, when, when people ask me about business, I always try to give them like the, the grimy part up front. Yeah. Like, yo, know, it's, it's, it's great, but you know, you, you gotta be willing, like for my, for me, it was me ending up um, to the tail end of a military career. Yeah. So it was for me, I was like, I said to myself, well, if I work half as hard for myself as I did in the military, then success is going to happen. So, um, good. Good. and that's the thing that most people got to understand when it, when it comes to a business and starting an entrepreneurship is that you have to work. It's you have to put forth the work and the ethic and be disciplined about what it is that you're passionate about. Because you, you should be working or starting a business in something that you're passionate about. So yeah. it's not, it's not shouldn't be a forced thing to say, okay, I'm yeah. gonna get up and I'm gonna grind on whatever it is, whether it's marketing, yeah. promoting, going out networking, whatever that is that you have to be successful at in your field. Which, you got to do it. If and I don't mean to cut you off, but which goes back to why I. I specifically address career coaching as, as sort of my, my new focus because mm -hmm. I, I did want to offer small business coaching and like helping people launch businesses, but I, I go back to the career coaching piece because if you don't, if you're not clear about what you're passionate about and also an honest assessment of your strengths and weaknesses and those threats or opportunities, sort of like a SWOT analysis, mm -hmm. you will have a harder time, I think, starting a business. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Because if you're me. not honest with yourself about what you re you're really willing to do and what you can't, what you shouldn't do, what you're willing to do and what you shouldn't do, then you're gonna have a harder time. You can try to do everything yourself, and then burn yourself out. Mm -hmm. Or you're gonna t try and and maybe not work as hard because you're trying to make every other people, everybody else work for you. It's 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 a delicate balance, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it is. It is a delicate balance. It is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. For the most part, I dedicate my podcast is sort of my playing field of networking and catching honest, current, um, cool people that I really want to learn from right. and, and allow them to promote themselves as examples of either entrepreneurship or career change. Right. So. Yeah, I'm all about black excellence. You know that. That's oh, what, yeah. That's what the movement radio and the network is all about, about yes. black excellence. So I like that. Sounds like you got a book or two in you. What you think about that? A book? Yeah. I do think so. <laughs> I think so. I have to be, I have to be, honestly, be more disciplined and dedicate yeah. what time of day am I really going to write? Mm -hmm. um, because there, there are some ways in which I feel like I want to write and get it out of me and just compile it and create like a series. Mm -hmm. But I've yet to really pin myself down. So Yeah. Yeah. It it'll happen when you when you least expect it. Yeah. What do you think I would write a book about? I don't know. But it, it sounds like you got some entrepreneurship, some development. You got life coaching in the back, so Yeah. It's you can go many different ways with it. <laughs> I'm not, I I've been saying I was going to do a book for a while, but I don't even say it anymore. So Really? Yeah. No. <laughs> I've yeah. been saying it for a while, but yeah. so I have a friend. It is what um, it is. I have a friend, and her name is Robin. Um, she's written a book, and she's totally inspired me that you can do it. Mm -hmm. And publishing again, you know, you you asked me uh, why am I so passionate either about career coaching or entrepreneurship. We just live in a completely day and age, completely different day and age, where if we want to publish something, we can do it. Yeah. It's we no can excuses. do it. It's like no this excuses. is not Google. Go like <laughs> it's it's such a different day uh, and age. Google, YouTube. How do I publish so a book? So different. Boom. Yeah. Video, step by step. Somebody that's want to be an expert will mm -hmm. will tell you. Mm -hmm. This is what I did to publish my book. Step one, I did X. Yep. Y. Z. Yep. So you know, that's how I did with the radio station. Yeah. Like I just said, I want to do this. I don't know how to do it. I'm gonna ask people. I'm gonna Google, and I'm just gonna take a leap. So yeah. and then wherever that's at, like that that whole quantum leap theorem theory. Yeah. Like you can you can go from one to five. You don't have you to don't hit have two, three, yes. and four. Yeah. You can make that quantum leap. So I guess this is my this is my leap. Yeah. Yeah, you've made multiple leaps though. <laughs> <laughs> multiple. And they get easier when you when you understand it. Just yeah. like anything. Starting out riding a bike, you fall, yeah. you hurt yourself, you skin your elbow, you're scared to ride, but you get back on it, and now you're yeah. riding a bike a second leg. We don't even think about it now. Yeah. Driving, anything. You're getting me excited. You're getting me excited. Anything that we do is uh, easier as we do it. Yeah. You got to put in them 10,000 hours like Malcolm Gladwell yeah. said, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Got to do it. Hot topics. Sure, go for it. So, um, something that may... You know that that's current and um, yeah maybe difficult to to discuss, but I think it's necessary. Sure. Um, yesterday was it 
for yeah. Friday when was I don't know if it was yesterday or Friday, but just recently. Yeah. Um, Dr. Cosby. Was, oh uh, my gosh. Yeah, was found guilty on three counts of whatever that was. Right. Um, I don't know how it's much funny. of the background. You're you hitting know. me up on these the <laughs> topics. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's okay. So I don't know how much you know about it, but you know you've been. Uh, I've been uh, keeping uh, myself apprised uh, just a little bit. Being an expert on on women. Um, <laughs> what What do you think about that whole situation? Well, yeah, I want to start off by saying Cosby Show is one of my best shows, one of my fa- all-time favorite shows. All, all of our shows. All of well, our I mean, best. you know, I would dare say not everyone, not every black person loves Cosby, like, Cosby Show. I bought, I got, I got as a Christmas gift from my my white roommates the Cosby Show. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like my white Hispanic roommates gave me Cosby Show as a gift because they knew I loved them so much. So just, I want to start with there. Um, two, when I heard the accounts of the, all of these accounts that the these women were making at the time I was very disheartened mm-hmm. you know just as anyone else would be like you don't, you don't think hold on hold on it's, pause. it's like, let me let me pause let me pause okay. i was very right. disheartened and when i when i looked into the situation again beyond just what the reports were saying right because it's such a it's such a headliner that if you just read the headlines you're like oh he must have done it and, but when you think about when i started thinking more about like and I started doing a little bit of research, not a lot. I'm not saying I really, because this is a hot topic. I wasn't aware you were going to ask me about Cosby's situation. But hey. when I did a little bit of research and I did some probing into an article that talked about at the time when he was getting, when, when this was happening, and I'm not taking his side, but at the time that it was commonplace to use certain drugs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what that did was that placed a certain element of doubt in my mind about timing and generation because I'm not gonna say I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and say it's equivalent to marijuana and marijuana being illegal in the past and now it's approaching being becoming legal, but I think there is some measure of like difference in expectations socially back then and then to now, okay? Now, what I will say this: assault is assault, and if just one person that got you know sort of vindicated by the fact that his allocation was um, found guilty. I'm, 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 I'm glad justice was served. I don't know how many of all those allegations were true, but, but when I looked and read some of his affidavit, I was like, wow, this, there's some of it that I just felt like he's even saying he did it. So. Well, I, I, think, I think when you read the affidavit, it's just like what you said. You have different times yeah context so like cocaine and quaaludes was was the life back then yeah so when you're saying like it's just like me saying if i take you out and i buy you whatever a a pina colada or Mm -hmm. whatever drink that you like um am i trying to get you to a point where i can take advantage of you or i'm just doing socially what is acceptable the norm yeah what's the norm the norm was in those days was cocaine give you a rush you own your cocaine high you want to come down off your cocaine high yeah you take the quaaludes so and this was acceptable um one of the the things that i read was the uh one young lady was saying she she was touched at a at the playboy mansion like she was at the playboy mansion and 
he gave her something at the Playboy. Like, what are you doing? At the Playboy Mansion. At the Playboy Mansion. Yeah. So there's another. There's another. <laughs> and I, you know, I I can't sit here and be like the representative of all women. So you know that. But mm. you know, I was raised differently. Mm. I, I've been. I I was raised. I was raised very differently, and you know this. But as far as my parents' concern, from a parenting standpoint, the way they reared me, it's differently. And then too socially, I was raised. Um, not, not only was I raised in the church, I was very, I come from a very protective, religious, spiritual background where I could not think of being alone with the man um, in those scenarios, like being at a Playboy Mansion or being alone with God. Like in my mind, I'm just like, why are you alone with him? Why? And you're 17. I mean, so that's and I don't say that to judge people I'm saying I don't and I'm not saying that to put the onus on the woman mm-hmm. right so I know some people might backlash to this interview but I'm saying because from my perspective and the way I was re- raised you don't go and be with men by yourself at 17 and not fear of being taken advantage of do you get what I'm saying now the, the opposite of that the other side of this is there were certain accounts where when the women explained the situation they were given a drug and then after they black out, they wake up, they had been, their clothes were off and everything. That, that That's just unacceptable. It's very egregiously unacceptable in my opinion. Mm. Egregiously unacceptable. Mm. That's just my opinion about it. And I think that there is, there needs to be had more social conversations like this around male and female dynamics around sexuality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, the way I kind of view it is a whole, I'm, I'm way out there mm-hmm. in the field by myself, but I think it's something um, socially within this, you know, wasp culture that we have. Um, wasp? That white Anglo-Saxon yeah. Protestant male. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's something about this culture that is destructive to successful, powerful black men. Mm. It's very mm. destructive. You you can't, you can go back to the 50s yeah. and look at each powerful, um, successful black man and they were all kind of socially destroyed. Like their images, the image of them and their, their uh, the way that they were portrayed as socially destructive. Even Martin Luther King, even though we celebrate him now, but they was tearing Martin Luther King down. Uh, they put out movies about him being, you know, promiscuous. They put out yeah. like books about all of these different things that he yep. was doing. Yep, yep. So they appraise you, but they they tearing like powerful, successful black men down to the core yeah. in each generation. And this is just another example, example of, that, of that that's being played out before I, I well I guess there's a part of me that can that honestly like I, I can uh, agree and understand that I can also though feel like we can't put past powerful black men the need for accountability in their actions and what they did absolutely do you see what I'm saying absolutely. it's like I can agree that there is some type of conspiracy against black men because I think in history would tell history tells it when we have had any powerful black male figure they have all been like strategically eliminated yes. somehow. I do think that Bill Cosby has lived a very successful life that was not, that had very little little tarnishment 
at all, I don't even know if tarnishment is a word, until it became known that he had allegations of rape. And then mm. people started, and we're in this culture now of Me Too, people started picking up on like, you mean you're coming out in the open about that? Oh snap, he did that to me. I would dare say, and I think it's also white male too, so I, I hate, I don't wanna just make it seem like we're gonna talk only about Bill Cosby's situation, but there's plenty of men that are getting away with foolishness in sexual assault, mm -hmm. plenty. I mean, if you've read, I don't, this is not a, a fair example, but the Aziz Ansari situation, I don't know if you read about that. No. Um, he's a man of color, but he's not black, he's Indian, but very well known, and he went on a date with a woman, and the woman was saying no, and stop, and then whatever. It wasn't rape, it wasn't rape, but it was, let me backtrack, it was not a good interaction, <laughs> if that makes sense. Hmm. But back to Cosby, um, people, men and women, need to be held accountable for their actions and their behaviors and intimate circumstances as well. Um, and I just don't know if he never got, um, I don't know if he, he never got adjudicated in the past because of his fame. I don't know. Like I he, know, he, I mean. He still was a a black male. Like that isn't a you can't tell me in nineteen seventy. But okay, but so was but, a, but there was a woman, mm -hmm. a white woman or mm -hmm. a group of white women that was scared because his fame was gonna be believed before their their word. Like you can't you can't I don't And again I, I, I don't know the cases all that well but I can't I, that's that's yeah. not a feasible. <laughs> you know, but I, again, well, I do I, analysis. I can't, no, you know, and I know. Feasibility I, analysis. I know, I know. At the end of the day, but again, at the end of the day, if somebody has done something and he wrote an affidavit about his occasions and his interactions with these women, you write in your affidavit saying what you did and what you put in their cup or whatever, you're telling the story. I mean, I just think that Again, he's being held accountable for his actions. Mm -hmm. I, whether or not those women's motivations, which I don't think that his women's motivations were to get money out of him. I mean. So why ask for it? If all you want is justice, why not be satisfied with the justice? So there is, is did they receive something? Yes, one of the, the lady that you're talking about now that the whole affidavit was written about, she had, back then when the affidavit was written, she received uh, like three point three million or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, again, I I stand by the fact that I think men should be held accountable for their actions. I I will dare say that I think women should be, at some level, need to have a better conversation around what they're what they're tolerating mm -hmm. from men. Uh, because even when I started, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of uh, what's his name? He's a hip hop mogul in his situation recently. Russell Simmons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those accounts. And again, you read them and, you know, I, I will never put the onus of the issue or the alleged sexual assault on the woman, but I read them and I'm like, why are we, why are women putting themselves in situations where this can happen? And I just, that's where I'm saying like, I don't know because I know I come from a really maybe old school mindset, mm -hmm. old school or protective mindset. Um, but it gets really muddled when. <sighs> well, I mean, <clears throat> Russ been Russ been borderline for a long time. I mean, it's it's not like we can't remember that Kamara Lee. She was 
she was a teenager when she, he showed up with her and she was pregnant and all that. So, I mean, Russ had to be about 50 then. So. <laughs> okay, so you make mention of something great, the fact uh, that it's borderline. Yeah, right? I mean. The fact that it's borderline, to me, that is direct intimation that it could have been something else going on that was not appropriate, right? Well, I mean, from, from what I know, from my little time being around, like, entertainment, mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of, and it's, it's probably sad to say, but it's a lot of women that understand the power of sex. And they know a yeah. powerful guy, you know, and he has the ability to get you a casting call or to get you a role on and, a movie. And, uh, yeah, and, and they use that a sex as a way to get in. That That is the, the, the guy, casting couch guy, the, the Weinstein guy. Yeah, this guy's been like, he's been knocking off women for 30, 40 years on the casting couch. Like he's, they, they said he just walk in. He didn't even yeah. like play with it. He just walk in with his towel. And like Yo, you want the roll or not? Nah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so um, it's, so it's crazy a lot of stuff. I, I was talking with a dude that uh. But okay, so pause. Mm-hmm. My reaction is coming from a person who is not in the entertainment industry, right? Yeah, neither am I. Like I just, neither I'm I. that world is foreign to me. Yeah, and 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 I think that's that's. That's the issue when we when we talking about Bill Cosby and these other successful men that that are the, the gatekeepers, so to speak, of success yeah. in movies and entertainment. Yeah, is because um, these women like if you do that and you feel bad about it a week later, mm. and then you don't make it an issue until twenty five, thirty years later. I mean, how can maybe you I, you were the I mean, one I, again I you think were the that three the, or four yeah. or five or ten or twenty yeah, I, different women that didn't make it but that's from, a little a bit guy, of, to me that's a little a, bit oversimplification of issue but I hear you I ain't, I'm not trying to oversimplify I'm just trying to trying to give you like a reality of it mm-hmm. like there is a lot one, one guy told me one guy told me that was um he was in a couple of movies, and um, and I had a, a, a conversation with him. And he told me, he's like, "You man, everybody you see in movies or TV or music, any type of entertainment, they've done something." Wow. He said, "Everybody, all of those squeaky clean images and all that." He said, Everybody has done something. Like everybody is say that whole Hollywood thing over there is that is insane. So in reading, like the reason why you find so many actors committing suicide or going crazy, it it is a yeah. Hollywood is crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's not, they call it Holly Weird for, for a reason. <laughs> what do you think about the Starbucks situation? What do I think about it? Yeah. Well, um... Slash, there's a multiple situations that happened in the last two weeks. Starbucks, the five women who were golfing in Pennsylvania, 
who were asked to because they weren't five black women five black women they weren't golfing at the right pace they were being asked to leave by the owners so here is here and then wait thirdly the woman at uh, waffle house who was arrested and they had her breast out exposed and all of this stuff i'm just like police what is going on and then you know about the starbucks situation they had been there for two minutes two black men been there for two minutes in starbucks and they called the police in two minutes because they had not become paid patrons well i'll i'll just give a a a very kind of brief how i feel about it um i think we as as black people people of african descent here in america i think that we are we have to get away from the perception that acceptance among the white establishment is successful mm-hmm. we have to retrain our thought process to understand that group economics and, and this is a part of how I feel about black excellence and movement radio and the whole yeah. concept of why, why I started this, this movement um we got to understand the power of group economics. It, it seems as though everyone understands it but us. Mm. It seems as though whenever you have a group of people that unify and they want to get their agenda pushed to the forefront, they understand that economics, group economics, pooling our economic resources is the way to get that done. Yeah. Most recently, the gay, lesbian, whatever community. Mm-hmm. Recently, they're the most recent group of people, a group that have pulled their resources and throw their economics behind political parties. And they had policies put in place by these, the recent political change that benefited that community. Because they use group economics and say, not only do we have a number of people, but these number of people also have this amount of economics that we can put behind you. And here is our agenda, if you want that. So until we understand that, until we get away from the thought process that if it ain't white, you know, it ain't right. Yeah, then whiter, brighter. We're going to continue to struggle. We're going to continue to, to be disjointed as a people. Um, and, and for some reason, we as black people feel like it's almost wrong to get together. You know, I don't want to go over there with them. You know, they ain't no telling. They ain't got it together anyway. You know, um, and that's, that's a little bit crazy. But specifically talking about um, Starbucks. <laughs> How economics again? We'll tackle economics again. If if we spend our money in the places that we should spend our money, if we back our dollar, that was just the article that I read last quarter. The black dollar was valued at 
1.73 trillion dollars in the economics in this economic climate we have the buying power of 1.73 trillion dollars made black panther a billion dollar movie mm -hmm. worldwide yeah if we can get behind black panther and push our resources which is which was a beautiful movie which was very inspirational but disney owns it so we made a lot of white people rich <laughs> or richer yeah <laughs> so uh we gotta understand that man it, it's it's so much i can say towards that yeah but that that little piece there is about group ep economics yeah. It's key. It's key to the development of respect as to for us as a people. Um, <laughs> I'll just leave it there because I, I we'll be here another hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we'll be here another hour if I if I you know unpack all of that. Um, and even with the the police brutality, not just the woman, um, but that's in, in uh that happened in the waffle house but you know what's been happening over the last you know yeah. 50 60 years to 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 men of color and women of color if it was any other group if it was any other group they would have pulled out pulled their resources together creating an economic movement and declared like economic war against their oppressors but yeah. we don't it is it's, it's like black people don't understand that the people that are oppressing us want to keep us oppressed mm. and it is it's not it's not by accident the oppression and the degradation of black people in america is not an accident this is not it was designed this way and only we only unification is going to defeat it. If it's not unification, I mean unification across all facets, and it's going to be hard. Yeah. It's going to be hard for us to get past that. I know that's a sobering reality. But it is sobering, but it's good. It's good to end there on a, yeah. on a, I mean, it kind of earmarks part of your mission with black excellence. Yeah, it's all about that. Yeah. About the excellence. The, the the economic movement, yeah. the whole Black Wall Street again. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and I'm 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 a proponent of that. I'm a proponent of supporting things that's black. Mm -hmm. Like we gotta be. We we can't be afraid to be black. Hey. You can't be afraid to be black. I can't I can't be afraid to say, movement radio is about black excellence. Yeah. I can't be afraid to like. We got businesses out there, but because they want to be successful, they'll take the black off it. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and we, I, I think that you don't have to be, you don't have to, nobody else, no other community. Mm -hmm. Chinese don't take China restaurant off of their <laughs> Chinese restaurants and just put restaurant. Yeah. They got Chinese all over everything. So, um, in every other group, socially and uh, politically and economically does the same thing but somehow we think that associating with the people that's trying to yeah. oppress us is going to re remove that oppression like the more we like you well, I'm like you I think like you yeah no that's you're a great not. point you're not yeah. so I mean 
of course it's it's general and I'm not saying that every black person thinks that way and I'm not saying that every white person is that way but collectively yeah. that's what it is yeah that's how it is that's what it was created off that's how America was created every aspect of an American culture was created off the supreme thought that white people were greater than all others mm. Mm. That's what this creation that we're living in is all about. So, and we gotta understand that. And unification of our minds, socially, politically, and economically, is the only way that we're gonna defeat it. Yeah. Otherwise, we're gonna be right here getting brutalized and kicked off golf courses and beat up in Waffle House and shot in Ferguson and. Yeah. So it's in you know and the reality of it we can't there's nothing done about it because folks know what we're gonna do. We're gonna get mad, we're gonna get on social media, we're gonna make a post, we're gonna walk a little bit, maybe riot. Yeah. Next month Back to the we're gonna be doing like the, the, the latest um challenge, the ice bucket challenge Stop or whatever it. challenge. Like it's 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 ridiculous. But that's that discipline we was talking about earlier. Yeah. To stay the course. We have to. Yeah. But, Miss G. Nicole, <laughs> I appreciate you for coming through yes. and allowing me to uh, get this time with you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you supporting the movement. Yes. Being a part of Movement Radio. Love and, the music. Oh, Tell the folks like where they can get you at. Um, oh yes, I'm on Instagram at sheventuresnow.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com/sheventuresnow. You can also uh, email me at info at sheventuresnow.com. If you have any questions about my career coaching program, and you can always hit me up on my main online property, sheventuresnow.com. And the podcast. Podcast, yes. Go to iTunes, look for She Ventures Now, <laughs> and you will definitely see my face. Yeah, so movement family support that support. She ventures now. Download the podcast. Yes. Listen to the, the episodes. And, uh, it's good information. Great. Movement Radio appreciates your support in providing uplifting music and interviews highlighting black excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or brand influencer interested in marketing your product or service on Movement Radio's platform, send an email to mvmntradio7 at gmail.com.